You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Grogu's rocking out again. Yeah. Yep. That was a satisfying Yoda react right there. <laughs> Grogu react, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. So okay, I, I have to ask, how is Ronan doing with sharing daddy this morning? Because, you know, daddy's busy. Daddy's podcasting. Are we, uh, are we okay with this now? He was doing fine. He was doing fine for a minute. Uh, and then he came in here and started messing around. So now he is chewing on a bully stick. Mm-hmm. Which you can probably hear in the background, potentially, depending on uh, depending on whether or not I I wiped the, the the background audio off of my track or not. But he he's chewing that, so we've got a good like I gave that to him uh, five minutes ago, so we've got a good two and a half minutes before he's done. So okay, well then the let's make this good then. Hours. Yeah, <laughs> chew away, Ronan. Chew away. Yes. So uh, the voice that y'all just heard uh, endorsing Ronan chewing away on the bully stick is David R. Slayton, who is yet another one of our Patrick's Christmas list of people he just really super duper wanted to have on. And I was really super duper happy to do it, too, because David and I have known each other in the weird slide, slide long, side long, that one, words, um, way that one does in the Facebooks and the Twitterverse and whatnot, which is a combination of knowing one another while not knowing one another at all. Um, so it's going to be kind of cool for me to be here and to, to watch the two of you geek out together here. David, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. So actually, See, our connection, funny. our connection, our connection between the three of us is that I've had pizza with both of you, but just at different places. True. And probably like different compositional pizza as well. <laughs> and if, unless, unless you also went to get mile high pie with. I did not take him to Bojo's. Uh, I'm sure he's had okay. Bojo's. Uh, I think we went yeah. to, it was, Mellow Mushroom? The first, yeah, it was Mellow Mushroom with Gail Carragher and some people. Um, yep. There used to be a Bojo's four blocks from my house. It was the original, and it's gone now, and now it's Chick-fil-A, and I will always be bitter because I could walk over and have Bojo's That's- and salad bar lunch. That is, I actually um- love Chick-fil-A. I always go there on Sunday, though, so I never am able to get any. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. So I... I, I feel like this this whole like vibe between the two of you, I got a taste of when I came in the green room. So for, for reference, last night there was very late night gaming in Shea Townsend. Um, and by very late night gaming, I mean I had set an alarm for myself for five in the morning this morning to like go do some grading and stuff and do some cooking and house cleaning before I had to also do show prep and then jump downstairs to, to do the recording. And when I woke up at five in the morning, David wasn't in bed next to me. And I thought to myself, oh, no. He was so tired, he just went to sleep on the couch downstairs. Like, that must be what and happened. I, I, the- I, I do feel that we need to clarify that there's a different David. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, yeah, oh, yeah. This, is, this is David Husbeast. Uh, David Arsley did not this, randomly fly yeah. to Chicagoland to fall asleep on my this couch. Is, um, David, yeah. this is the one that's time she didn't say Husbeast. She actually called him by his name, which is hilarious. I know. I, I really nerfed it there, didn't I, mean, I? I didn't realize that was a requirement that I would have to fly. <laughs> well, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> anyway, and so I was like, oh, no, I, I can't go downstairs and like bang around and wake him up because that would be awful of me. So I guess I'll just wait it out for a little bit longer and I'll start my day a little bit later with that stuff. Well, it gets to be like 630 in the morning and I've drifted back off to sleep and I wake up and now he's in bed. I'm like, wait. He wouldn't randomly come to bed after going to sleep on the couch. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, he just got done gaming. He just came to bed. (laughs) Yes, listeners, I came downstairs and our gaming guest from last night was asleep on one of the couches because (laughs) at 6 a.m. they wrapped up their game. Uh, wow. So yeah, it's been a crazy busy morning of, of everything here getting ready. So it's actually super relaxing to come downstairs and to have a what we will pretend is an adult conversation. So, okay, <laughs> David. <laughs> so I was thinking about um, the conversation that you two were having with each other because I came racing in at the last minute into the green room and the two of you were already in the thick of it. And it reminded me of a conversation we actually had in our patron um, hangout group uh, about a week ago. And in that conversation, we were talking to folks in our group about uh, one guy in particular, Todd, was really interested in kind of trying to 
access the best resources he could for his writing, and he was looking at masterclass courses and things like that. And Patrick nudged him back towards critique groups and workshop. I talked him out of masterclass, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of, you know, kind of, kind of made a low key pitch against that sort of modality. And you have definitely been in the thick of the writing community in your local area for a long time through Pikes Peak and Rocky Mountain and so forth. Talk to us about like the experience of your professional life in the context of also the writing community that you're part of, like the work that you do with those people, how you continue to, to work with people now that you're pro. Well, I think a couple of things you mentioned, the fact that you mentioned Pikes Peak writers and Rocky Mountain fiction writers, both of which have amazing conferences in the local Denver area. Uh, Pikes Peak is in the Colorado Springs, which is an hour for me. And I'll always feel a little bit like a moron about this because when I wanted to get serious, I'd written one novel that was just a brick. It's terrible trunk. You know, it shall never see the light of day. It should be buried in a lead box really. And with salt and the ground never approached or disturbed. But about 10 years ago, I said, I, I really need to figure out what to do. I'm not getting anywhere. I don't know what I'm doing. So I found, I started Googling um, writing conferences and I found a conference called Backspace in New York, which is now defunct. And I went to New York, had an amazing time, met this amazing group of people who became my critique group and peers and friends. And three or four of them are still some of my absolute best friends in my life now. They were my, they were my people. I found my people. But I'll always feel a little bit like a moron because then I got home and then I was Googling writing conferences again and realized I actually have two amazing ones in my area. <laughs> I don't need to fly halfway across the country for that. And one of the things about being part of those organizations, yes, it helped. And then I, I met a lot of great people at Pikes Peak who were speculators and we called ourselves the Pikes Peak speculators playing off the mining theme and merged my backspace group and my, and my Pikes Peak group together into kind of this awesome critique group. And it, we were mostly online because everyone's globally distributed everywhere from California to Ireland. But it honestly just, it provided not just feedback for growing and, and critiquing and getting my work, but the support network that it provided. The fact that it allowed me to have people you know, when you need to talk about your frustrations with your imaginary friends, writers get it. It's why bar con at a con is so important because no one else is going to care. You know, like my partner, he's he has to hear about all this endlessly, and he's kind of reached that. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> I'll just let you talk in the back. for the horde. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Pirates of Azeroth. Anyway, um, so that's the. Uh, that's really what those resources provide. It's, it's the community that it provides more than anything. The at some point, we all hit different levels. Like so I got an agent first, but someone else got an agent and then published first. So we all started kind of tiering together. And very much like a gaming group, like a Dungeons & Dragons or tabletop gaming group, it's important to understand that critique groups have a life cycle. They do fall apart. They do, And there's a time for it to end. And that's okay. Um, and very much like gaming... People get to different levels more quickly or different levels of experience. And you kind of want to form a group where everybody is sort of at the same level, right? You wouldn't want a level of like three level four characters and then one level 20. It completely skews mm -hmm. things. And because the level 20 isn't going to get anything out of it. They're not going to be gaining. They're just going to be mentoring. So I haven't been in a critique group for a while, partly because once I, I wasn't getting anywhere, I wasn't make, breaking out. So I finally hired a freelance editor who I, I talked to and knew well personally. And it was a friend of mine, James, who decided to go into freelance editing. And he'd worked- I know James. Yeah, I'm going to say, I think you know James quite well. But he, um, <laughs> the thing about working with James is because he was reading Slush for an agency and he understood traditional publishing very strongly. It was so helpful because, I did, and when I approached him and talked about this, I said, yeah, I don't just want an editor. I want a coach. I want somebody who can help me see what will make my writing stronger? What can help me get over these hurdles so I can actually sell something? Because I, I mm -hmm. had an agent and I wasn't selling anything still. I changed agents. and But then when I that was really what kicked me into gear. So critique group was a great first step. But, but that critique group, even though it no longer acts that way, those people are still great friends. And you know, we can help each other out. We see each other whenever we're in town. And it's 
just really great to have made those bonds. Mm-hmm. And and I'm gonna throw it out there that uh, as part of the advice to Todd, I, I also said that you know if if you join a critique group or you start messing with around with the critique group and you're getting a bad vibe from them, like it's just not clicking, walk away. You don't, you have zero commitments to them. You don't mm-hmm. have to stick with it. You can walk away. I also sent him a message privately, and I said, dude, if I'm if I'm pissing you off, you can also tell me to fuck off and die. Like you, you can go your own path. I'm just so passionate about these things. And I think, you know, especially when you, you're not published, you can get so much out of those kinds of groups. And I think you can get so much more out of a Pikes Peaks Writers Conference, a Rocky Mountain Fiction mm-hmm. Writers Conference than you will from Masterclass. Mm. I, I also think you're making an important point, which is... You no matter, and I, I start. I teach a lot of workshops for Pikes Peak, some for Rocky Mountain, other. I do a lot of virtual stuff with libraries and schools now. And I start every workshop I teach with all advice that you receive about your writing is advice. It is not law. Yep. Anybody who comes to you and says this is the only way to do it, this is the only path to the to the light to the truth, run away from those people. Um, exactly. Steal in absolutes, right? So yep. it's, cru- it's crucial not to let rejection and feedback take your writing from you. And that's the first thing I say, no matter what happens, no matter what you hear from someone in the industry, whatever, don't let anyone take your writing from you. Yeah. Yeah. In my creative writing classes, I'm fond of kind of plagiarizing a line from a poet, Richard Hugo, when I'm talking to my students and kind of giving the your mileage may vary impression about advice or life hacks or impressions that I have. And the way uh, Hugo phrased it was, um, always be always be suspicious of the advice you get from me because I can teach you how to write, but I can only teach you how to write like I write. That's um, an and, excellent line. And so, like the the idea, like I I can I can only teach you how to be like me, and chances are extremely good that that is not what you need specifically. But just getting the sort of pushback and the opportunity, the, the questions asked and the the brainstorming, if you have 10 people in the group who all feel like this scene isn't quite landing and they have 10 different solutions for it, chances are good that none of the 10 solutions are quite the right thing. But if all 10 people are saying like, eh, this thing right here, that's the part you got to listen to. Like, I don't know how to fix this yet, but I do have to deal with this somehow. I, I, I still remember... Oh, go ahead, David. I just want to say I have the exact same relationship to my agent and to my editors. They they will offer I they say this has a problem. Here's a solution. I always ignore the solution. I never take their solution, but I always <laughs> acknowledge and fix the problem. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I was sitting I was sitting on a panel at Capricorn in Chicago, and one of the other panelists throws out the uh, the line, uh, this is the only way to write a book like this. You have to do this and starts like listing these things out. And I had to have had a look on my face because someone in the audience, when that, when that guy stopped, someone in the audience says, I think Patrick disagrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> I have no quote to say. It's on the same way. <laughs> if you say something and, I disagree with, yeah. that face will just be like, and you were yep. masked too. So there was a whole face journey happening that was just oh, from yes. here on up, right? Yeah. Yep. It was it's all there. And, and so, <laughs> so I was like, I was like, yeah, that's just BS that, you know, that's what works for you. And that's awesome. Good for you. It's not going to work for everybody. Yeah. So, by the way, yeah. on our, on our, on our Ronin watch, uh, the, the rawhide thing, the bully stick is gone. Uh, and now he is uh, walking around wandering. I do like kind of the jaw the shark point. head appearance from the lower yeah. right hand corner of your. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's wandering I, around now. So I always quote pirates of the Caribbean when it comes to this stuff, because you know, there, there are no rules. There's just guidelines. For example, how often do you hear never start your book with a character waking up? Yeah. How does the hunger game start? Katniss waking up. You can do mm-hmm. anything as long as you do it. If you do it well, you can get away with it. Yeah. 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 I remember um, to your point from before, David, when you were talking about when your agent or your editor says X doesn't work, try Y. There was uh, one of the panels that I was on at the most recent Capricorn. We're recording this um, the second weekend of, of February. And the first weekend of February was when Capricorn for 2023 happened. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to go and be on some cool programming. One of the uh, programming items I was on was, um, you know, uh, about style. 
and about um, people talking about how their writing style works and various things. And one person made the observation that um, their editor would give them that sort of feedback and they would have that similar experience of like, "Uh, I I mean, I I get what you're saying and maybe you're right about this not working, but I don't like your solution. I'm going to do this. They apparently, they shared that they had talked with their editor about that after the fact and said like, well, I like, I I appreciate your insights, but like your solutions never work for me. And so maybe you can just not offer them. And uh, the editor apparently just laughed and said, that's the point. Like I, I offer the solution not knowing whether or not it's going to take and knowing probably that it won't. But sometimes the solution is just exactly wrong enough for what you ultimately want to achieve that it sort of pisses you off and motivates you to be like, I no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to prove to you I can do this a different way. And like then you kind of take ownership of this issue in a different way than you otherwise might have. So like, no, I'm not going to cease offering you solutions you will ignore. I want you to ignore them if it's going to be what produces the end result. Well, and traditional publishing is a relationship and a conversation. Um, obviously, it's your book. It's your, it's your work. But at the same time, your agent, your editors, and marketing, different, different people are going to have things to say. Um, when I published white trash warlock, my editor came back and there were two, there were two things in there. I said, after I said, after church lunch, cause the, the book is set, you know, that part's discussing Oklahoma and where I come from. And he said, wouldn't you just say brunch? I said, if you walked into a family gathering in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I'm from and use the word brunch, shotguns would get cocked. Like, no, or I said, <laughs> I said, jean, jean jacket. And he said, wouldn't you just say denim jacket? I'm like, no. Like, again, I'm the voice of the era where I come from and the place I'm coming from is absolutely going to say jean jacket, not, not denim. So, so some of those things are, you know, step for voice. You know, this, there's a reason. But it, again, it's a conversation. So I track changes. I put the comment back. And he didn't fight me on those things. There were a couple of other things he had me take two flashback chapters out. And when I looked at the book, I said, yeah, these don't, these don't fit here. They don't work in white trash warlock, but I, so I cut them out as requested and ended up reusing them in trailer park trickster in book two. So again, editing is a, it's meant to be a conversation. It's not your, your editors and your agents. They're not going to come at I have not had the experience yet with either of the two publishers I've worked with or all the editors I've worked with. They're like, this is the way it's got to be. Everything has been a, a, a good conversation. Um, I've had a, I had a title change on my, my upcoming book. They didn't like the title and I came up with a better title that I was actually more pleased with. Uh, so sometimes again, it's a conversation. It's it, no one's dictating anything to anyone. And it, it's important to know when to bend and flex. It's important to know what your hills are that you're going to die on in the Adam binder series. Adam is gay. And if they had come and said, you know what, let's make Adam a woman or make him straight and make the love interest a woman. Um, I would have, that was a hill I was going to die on. Like, but the title "White Trash Warlock" Facebook constantly flags that as hate speech. So if they had said, you know, what about working class warlock or something, then I probably would have taken that suggestion, even though I don't like that title as much. I guess the, that kind the, of brings. Me- as you can say, the Facebook algorithms are fun because uh, <clears throat> we have mutual friends in Shannon and MB, and they have a podcast called "Murders, Mayhem, and Mysteries." And their posts are constantly getting flagged by Facebook and, and uh, Shannon is getting like put in Facebook jail because of them. And now to go to the even next level, uh, there is Veronica. Yes. And how often is Veronica put in Facebook jail? (laughs) Not that often, but what's funny about Veronica getting to be put in, in Facebook jail is she's often Veronica is black and she's often commenting on racism and then her commentary on something that is racist is what gets her put into Facebook jail. So it's this whole, it's this whole stupid thing. Yeah. And I guess that that actually sort of leads into the thing I was thinking about a moment ago um, that when I'm trying to think about like, what's the conversation point for me that helps me kind of think through what makes the Adam Binder series so grabby, especially from a, I'm just walking past a, a bookshelf and notice notice the titles of the book and grab them off and read the back cover copy. Thinking about that, I kind of landed on the question of, you know, society wants pretty badly to construct a lot of um, stereotypes and assumptions about who people are and therefore what they're capable of doing and what sort of stories they belong in. And I'm kind of wondering how those 
stereotypes and assumptions figure into the decisions that you're making actively and intentionally? To, that's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever had anyone ask it this way. Honestly, when it comes to writing Adam, I'm just writing what I wanted to read. And that's, that's my whole mission statement is I go out and I say, I would really love to read an epic fantasy or high fantasy in a world that lacks sexism, homophobia, racism. And I want a gay character. I like gay action heroes. They don't exist very much. And I don't want to write about coming out. Or I don't want to write about AIDS. I don't want to write about family acceptance. Like better authors than me have that covered. And I'm at a point where I'm just not interested in reading those stories. I want to get past all that. And I see a gap in the market. I see a, I can't find the book I want to read, so then I write it. And that's exactly what happened with Adam. I love urban fantasy. I, I think it's such a cool genre. But when you look at it, it's, it's usually either a straight white male um, with a lot of male gaze looking at women and evaluating them constantly. Like, that corpse is hot. I'm like, dude, you're literally commenting on the appearance of a dead woman. It's strange. Um, or you're looking at women generally coming at it from that angle which is great, like Kim Harrison's awesome Hollow series or Shauna McGuire's Toby October Day series, which just absolutely love that series. But I was like, you know, where are we? Where, where, the, why is there anybody like me? And that's why I wrote White Trash Warlock, essentially. It was, I wanted to write something for me, something that I would enjoy. And it's really kind of sad because when you look at the traditionally published space in urban fantasy, there's Katie Edwards with the tarot sequence and there's me. And right now, that's it when it comes to gay men writing gay men um, where, as main characters. That's it. So I do look at what society thinks of, because I Adam's background is my background. I grew up in a trailer outside of Guthrie, Oklahoma. I am a high school dropout who's gone on to get three college degrees because I tend to overcompensate in that area, I guess. But I his background is my background. I come from that. I come from there and then though I'm older than him. So my, I have even more to a degree of what he didn't get access to. No internet when I was a kid. So I'm trying to look at people look at you and say, Oh, this is what you have to be. You're a high school dropout. You're not going. I had an, my first event at the tattered cover for trailer park trickster when the pandemic was allowing them to have events again. And the first thing I said is I'm not supposed to be here. High school dropouts from Guthrie, Oklahoma, who grew up in a trailer, don't get to have book events on this green carpet, this ugly green carpet, and get to, you know, <laughs> come and, and do this. Like, that's, no one ever said, hey, you can do that. Mm -hmm. no, one, no one ever expected me to be here. And it's, it was, so I like to try to say, look, let me surprise you. I, I, what I love about writing Adam is he's very underpowered. So unlike somebody who can walk on the on the page in the first scene, throwing fireballs or having this massive magic ability, Adam is very low power. He's very low wattage on the magical uh, scale. Mm -hmm. So he's constantly terrified of everything. And yet he still always does the right thing. He He's a hero in that he does the right thing at great personal risk and harm, even if the person he's saving is an asshole. <laughs> and he often does. He often finds himself... You'll see that a lot, especially when we meet his cousin Jody in book two. And Jody is mm -hmm. the literal worst. She is the worst. Um, my favorite agent note from my agent in the margins and track changes I still have a screenshot of is she is, in all caps, the worst. <laughs> <'Cause she is. laughs> but he but he still rises to the occasion to help Jody uh, when she comes under threat because that's just who Adam is. And I think that that's I mean, it's it's heartwarming in a way because I think that fiction invites us to kind of use it as a proxy for moral quandaries and situations that are, in that literal sense, not likely for us to encounter, but we're supposed to imagine kind of, you know, analogous situations for ourselves. And I think that there is a temptation to use... Um, and we see, we see this a lot in filmmaking anyway, a little bit less often in books, but the sort of idea that like, I'm going to introduce this character, Farmer Bob kicks the dog. We know Farmer Bob is a bad man that now. And so therefore the things that unfold after this point to Farmer Bob are earned or like maybe even if they're unsettling and they shouldn't happen to anyone, we still feel less bad because they happen to Farmer Bob, the dog kicker. And so the idea that you can 
have a character who may not have a lot of redeeming angles to them, but still sort of model within the hero that like, no, it's not, the job isn't to to pass judgment on other people or to write off other people for their wrongs. It's to make a decision about who you are and what you can live with and what what the right thing to do within yourself is. Adam is chaotic good, and which mm-hmm. is nice because we got when I got to write uh, Vicente Martinez, Vic is lawful good, and by the end of Deadbeat Drew, they both had to take several steps towards neutral. Yes, my D and D alignment system process is always working on my characters, <laughs> but I, yeah, it's. I also like it when a character can surprise me. There was a moment mm-hmm. writing Deadbeat Drew, the third book, when. Adam had a, a tough choice to make and my he's he's so much better than me because my action my reaction would be to not do the, the good thing it would be to end the threat and Adam chooses the good thing it, it goes down to the Superman versus Batman debate and you know the commentary you know why doesn't Batman kill his villains because then Batman would, would become his villains and that's really the fine line is the, having no no the answer is because he's Batman. But when you see, but when you see people make that argument, you know that Batman should take out his villains and he should just kill them and end the Joker forever. That's you're, you don't understand the character. You don't, mm-hmm. Giving Batman a gun, you, if you give Batman a gun, you don't understand who Batman is. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, winding all the way back to. Um, Henry Cavill, who I love deeply and can do no wrong in my book, but did end up having the misfortune of, you know, being in the the Man of Steel film that has attracted so much attention for its treatment of Superman as sort of a recluse and as a reluctant and um, the big throwdown with Zod, of course, in the center of Metropolis and and so on. And they, it, that idea of the fundamental misunderstanding of character. It's important, I think, to to remember that sometimes the people who are responsible for a character can sometimes misunderstand their own character. Like I don't, I don't think that it's a truism that if you wrote the character or that if that character is your responsibility, that therefore anything the character does that you write him doing, ergo, must be what the character would do. I, I think that that having a more reflective understanding of the character that you've built. And being able to step back and to make harder narrative choices, um, you know, less streamlined narrative choices in the interest of, of sticking to what your character really would do and who they really are, has a lot of virtue to it. I agree with you. And I also think there's importance that characters can grow. One of the, you know, we, there's a lot of talk about fandom and nostalgia and toxic fandom when it comes to why, you know, I just want to still see this, my hero from when I was a child behaving this way it's like let let those characters grow let them maybe they have changed and maybe sometimes that is to the darkness maybe it is towards the light but i like the fact that you know if you're going to write a character for decades and decades as, as i'm looking at the next three adam books and plotting those if like we get them how does adam grow how does he change how do the how does the events from the first arc alter him and is is that change fundamental because we hopefully we change, you know. I'm reach. I'm middle aged, and I've we, uh, not to get political, but like the whole conversation of this politician's a flip flopper. Thirty years ago, he held this position, and now he holds this position. Like over thirty years, I would hope that your positions have evolved. I would hope that you're thinking. We are meant mm-hmm. to grow. We are meant to grow. If you're still the same person and thinking the same way, and and haven't expanded or changed your ideas at all in thirty years, I'm going to be a little terrified of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we've spent a lot of time kind of focusing on the Adam Binder books and, of course, the teaser of plotting out the next three and all of that. But I don't want to sleep on the fact that although this is distant future of 2023, things sneak up on us faster sometimes than we than we fully appreciate. So we have an entirely new series, whole new world, whole new thing coming out, launching on, of all dates, Halloween of 2023. What did you do? What did you do to land that as a launch date? That's remarkable. Blackstone, my publisher for the Adam series and for the upcoming series, Gods of Night and Day. The first book is Dark Moon Shall See It, which you said is out on Halloween and is up for pre-order. There's my shameless plug. Um, they just—they're just amazing. They put 
they put White Trash Warlock out on October 13th. Oh, oh. And I was like, could there be a better date for this book? And, and part of it is just planning and strategy around season and time and release and what other books are coming out. What do you want to not compete with? Halloween is literally, I could not be happier. And they just, they just constantly surprised me when, when they hired my editor, they said, do you, um, what do you uh, think about working with this, this man? And I, I just lost it. I was like, wanted to work with him my entire career. Never thought I'd get the chance, but turns out he was freelancing for them. And then they sent my cover artist over and he said, I have a different artist for the first two books. And then Sean Thomas, who did the cover for Warlock and Trickster came back and said, Hey, what do you, these are the covers that I think like the title and I've read a few excerpts fit. And he sent me one of the covers he sent me was one of my all time favorite covers and books. It's like, are y'all trolling me? (laughs) Um, And Sarah Riedlinger, who's currently working on the cover for Dark Moon Shallow Sea, she she picked up when Sean moved out of covers, and so she did the cover for Debbie Druid. She finished reading the book last weekend. She's been working on the cover all week, so I should have it soon, my my proofs. And we started talking. Turns out she's a giant Dungeons & Dragons fan, just like me. She's a big Ravenloft fan, just like me. So... I don't know. I don't know if it's karma. I don't know if Blackstone's just that good, but they they just seem to nail it with me. They they picked an amazing narrator. Um, they sent me auditions. Actually, they sent me uh, three people, and I chose da- Michael David Axtell for the Adam mm-hmm. series, and he's just an incredible narrator and has mastered the voices so strongly. But yeah, Black Blackstone just keeps blowing my mind every time. They just seem to anticipate my d- deepest want. <laughs> So it'll be really nice when they when they do the promo event where for for trick or treating they just like put copies of the book in people's little pumpkin buckets, and uh, yeah, that's actually my plan. If I get to have an event, I I do a Halloween party for charity. Patrick's actually been to it once called Trick or Read. I, I give it we 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 take in children's books and then everybody says, well, I you know like Tracy says I get forty trick or treaters, so you take two bags of twenty. Patrick says I get sixty, he takes three bags of twenty. At its height, we were giving out 600 books across the Denver area on Halloween. To wow. Kids. And That's super hoping, great. We're hoping to get it back again this year. And if I do get to throw the party, everyone who comes will get a copy of Dark Moon Chalice. And, and I that love is, that you uh, that's said, a level Patrick, up from a full Patrick, candy bar. Yeah. I, I love that you said, and Patrick gets 60. Patrick gets like two. Patrick gets two freaking <laughs> trick-or-treaters. It's sad. It's depressing. I get I get. Yeah. I think we got six last year and I was, so, cause I get, and I just give out full bars at this point because it's just more cost effective than buying a giant bag. Yeah. Here's a table of books, take a book or three. Here's three candy bars. Go away. <laughs> it makes me so sad. Oh yeah, it is. My neighborhood tends to get hit pretty hard because it's, it's a suburban neighborhood that is smack dab, like in dr- in very short, like less than five minute driving distance are two elementary schools, a middle school and, and one of the high schools for the area. And so it is a, it's a suburban neighborhood where a lot of people who had kids that they knew were going to need to come up through the school system decided to move. Um, but a lot of the people who came in during the first wave after the place was built, their kids are now grown and like off at college or doing whatever. And there haven't been quite as many people who have moved in to replace them. So when we first moved in here like 10 years ago, I crap you not, like I would, I would have a, do a pretty strict two piece per rule. And based on the two piece per rule, um, of handing stuff out, we had about 500 trick or treaters for the first couple of years I was here. We finally trickled down to the point that we get something more like 80 over the course of the evening. And like the fact that 80 is a slow night for us is, but yeah, it's, it's like get a thermos of something, sit out in a, like wrapped in a blanket in a chair outside because there's no point in just going back and forth at the door. You just need to just like set up. It's like a Red Cross station, but candy. Well, now that I'm now that I'm sleeping on your couch, I'll just come give out books and candy at your place. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I appreciate your help. It would be very very useful. <laughs> on the subject of giving people things, we probably want to be- give people picks. We can do picks of the week. Picks of the week. All right, so Patrick, model good behavior for us. <clears throat> Oh man, I was gonna, I was gonna kind of slam beyond the trope since I know David's been over there a couple times and be like, no, bad cast. 
look, look how look how look how chic we are you know compared to them no i'm just i'm just teasing so i <laughs> it's kind of funny there's lots of things that i would love to recommend but the thing i think i'm going to recommend is uh vox machina season two on amazon nice. prime uh the animated series now they just announced that they're going to do another animated series based on a different campaign that they have done i have That's never the watched their campaigns yeah. I yeah, I've never watched any of their campaign videos and stuff. I struggle with that. It it's it's not entertaining for me, which mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh I have enjoyed their animated stuff immensely. And once I'm going to I'm going to do a spoiler here, but uh once <laughs> once you've seen a oh gosh, I don't like a strike team go up a dragon's butt you can't unsee that, okay? You you, you just can't unsee. I haven't that. seen it. No, I can't unsee it. <laughs> we need to get inside that dragon. What? Through all that acid? There's no way. Oh, there's a different way. <laughs> oh my god! It's just you know they 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 take it just seriously enough, and then they they throw in all this humor, and it's it's hilarious, and I I really enjoy it. I know I've picked other other uh, RPG esque shows that have been popping up all over the place, but uh, Vox Machina continues to to entertain and amuse. And I want to say there's twelve episodes this for season two. I'm not hundred percent sure, but uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Vox Machina season two on Prime. Nice. So, so David. Well, I don't know if I can compete with the dragon thing, but um, <laughs> I'll, going to, I, can I have two or only one? Oh, it's no, fine. Like the first time I was on a guest, I had like a scroll, and there were so many oh. things. Um, yeah. So for so for books, uh, I, there's a couple. There's a series I'm revisiting right now, which is C.S. Poe's Steam and Magic, and she writes this really fun, independently published steam and magic series it's got a little bit of steampunk it's got a really cool gay romance i just i love her work she she does mostly mysteries um which are also excellent but i really wanted to get the next book out in the series and i've just been re rereading and re-listening to those i really yeah. love her and declan winters does the narration so just just fun and the first one's a novella the second the next two they're short books not going to eat up your whole day but i really love her work and then also in books, I've been working my way through Sean David Hutchinson's catalog, and he's a YA author who does really cool, interesting, high-concept stuff. His first book, The Five Stages of Andrew Brawley, you really kind of need to read it in print because he in- incorporates graphic novel elements and comics, and it's really about a, a study on grief and loss as well as our relationship to death but told through this cool lens and he's just got some amazing ideas like his book uh, we are the ants which is a guy who's having a terrible life a young man because again young adult but he's being kidnapped regularly by aliens and the aliens give him a choice of hey press this button and the whole world goes away and he's contemplating it to be given that amount of power in the situation where he's, you know, his life is pretty terrible. So it's asking that question, does it get better? Or if, if I could make an out for all of us, would I take it? So really, really interesting thoughts and things. Uh, I love Sean's work. And then in games, because I'm always a gaming in some capacity, I am jonesing so hard for Starfield and we don't have the release date yet. So I have gotten back into Fallout 4 on PC, but I've been modding it and having just a blast with some of the high tech resolution mods and high textures and being able to look at it through a whole new lens of pretty. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. They, that's, that's very. They, yeah. No, that's not cool. I, I was just gonna say they, they did a, they did the, um, the 007 game Goldeneye. Right. Mm-hmm. There was there was all these people that were that were like upset that they there was no plans to do anything with it. And so they were releasing like illegal copies that had been, you know, upgraded for different consoles and stuff. And so so finally Nintendo and whoever said, Okay, fine, we're gonna we're gonna release this and they released it for Switch and then they also released it for Xbox, which I thought was interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And so I have Xbox and I was like, oh, I remember this game. I'm going to, I'm going to download this. It's a free game. So I download it and I start playing it and uh, I can't get past the first mission because I can't figure out how to open the gate. I had to actually fucking oh, no. look it up. I, think I had to look it up online. experience on the Nintendo 64 20 years ago. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have to have the silencer weapon in your hand to open the gate. Any other weapon and it won't open the gate. And I'm just like, I don't want to play it's anymore. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I spent so much time back in the day trying to hack my PC to run Morrowind. And the thing is it would get through the little intro and you would click on the thing to leave the boat. And that's when it would crash because I could not get my computer to work right. And I spent so oh, no. much time figuring out how to resolve for that. By the time I finally got it working, I was over it. It's like, oh, it worked. And now I'm bored and going to bed. <laughs> I, know, I, know exactly, I know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's been fun to, I've also been reskinning Fallout. And so it's a little more, um, you know, like I'm romancing McCready and now he's all pretty. Mm-hmm. So it's nice. Have you, have you ever had an opportunity to talk to Giles about Fallout 4? Because I think he's played that a thousand times. Like he I, just loves to replay it. That'll be an awesome smoke bomb moment. So if I need to change topics with Giles, now I've, now I've got our, I've got ammunition. Like, oh, what about Fallout 4? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There he's just lost. Okay, Tracy, sorry. Sorry, we, <laughs> no, we, we it's just totally fine. sidetracked. I well, have an extremely low-tech um, recommendation. And it's sort of, a, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about the types of games that I tend to recommend, uh, because I do recommend tabletop games uh, pretty frequently. And I was trying to think of something that would be really different from what I typically recommend. And it then it just by happenstance, I was going through uh, the gaming shelves with my daughter Deirdre the other day. And she was like, it's been forever since we've played this. Let's pull it out and play it. And we did. And I was in love again. So the game I'm talking about is called Trash Pandas. It is not hard to find. Um, it's sold in lots of places, not just gaming stores, but you can find it at like Target and, you know, uh, Barnes Noble carries it these days and various places that have decided to diversify to start carrying more um, bits and pieces, tabletop card games and, and board games of different types. Trash Pandas is a great game to play, not only with younger kids, it goes down to about eight years old, uh, but all the way through adults, because it's exactly threading the needle between the most wholesome possible take on meme culture and also some fun screw your neighbor gameplay with set collection. Basic concept of Trash Pandas is you are a raccoon. Everyone in the game is a raccoon. And you live next to this trash heap and you want to find the best possible trash to eat. And so you are set collecting different cards. And in the course of set collecting different cards, you have different actions available to you. And those are determined by a set of dice that you roll. The set of dice come up with different potential options um, where you can, you can re-roll if you want. But if you re-roll, you're sort of stuck with whatever uh, the outcome is. And so you're able to select from the available actions that come up in the die roll. And using those, um, you take those actions from the center of the table. There are tokens that represent the available actions. Once the turn comes around to you, if the actions that you've rolled are not there, you're just kind of stuck. Um, And you have to exercise a re-roll, and if you're lucky enough to to have things going for you there, great. It's this kind of cool synergy where even the act of what actions are available to you is an act of scrounging from whatever is left over. And so... It gamifies that with just enough randomization so that you're able to kind of level the playing field between people who are, you know, more avid gamers, uh, but maybe just looking for something that's kind of a small, tight, fun, 30-minute throwaway game, and people who are not and kind of get easily overwhelmed by large sets of rules or things of that nature. The art is adorable. Um, Every possible thing that you can collect in the sets is named the way you would expect a raccoon to name them. Um... You know, and so there's and there's various cards that you can play as well that allow you to interfere with other people's actions. You play a bow wow, um, and it's you know the junkyard dog that comes and chases the other people away, or you play a meow meow or a kitty face, and different things happen there. Um, you want to collect nanners, you know, which are of course the rotten bananas or various other sorts of things, and it's just fun. And so if you're looking for a game that you can pick up for cheap, it typically goes for about fifteen bucks most of these places that you can teach to 
anyone, no matter how games reluctant they are in less than five minutes and play in 30, Trash Pandas is a great choice. It's about the size of a paperback book. Um, so you can toss it in your backpack and bring it with you to ambush people who don't know how much they wanted to be a raccoon. I'm so into this. I'm married to a chaos monkey and there you go. His, his nephews are coming to visit in a few months. So like this. Oh yeah. You need like trash pandas is peak. I have medium size humans and upward with slightly snarky, too cool for the room senses of humor. There you go. Yeah. Unstable unicorns is a fan favorite around here. We've solely been infecting all of our friends when they come to visit. Also a good one. Whew. This has been a journey here. So I feel like I need to let you wrap this one up, Patrick, because because uh, David is your treat. And I want to make sure that, that you end this on the note that makes you happy. Oh, you're going to regret that. But uh, so so so, I, you know, I did want to take a, a moment to announce my new book, uh, Redneck Hedge Mage. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> he was timing that he was watching me take a drink and you were timing that and we all know it. Hey, when you grow up, when you grow up, as, you know, in a redneck household, you you aspire to be white trash. That's all I can say. That's all. <laughs> Got to climb the ladder. <laughs> so, David, why don't you tell people where they can find you online, uh, where they can find your books, uh, and, and is there a spe- like where do you want them to start? Where, where, where should they start reading David Slayton? Start with White Trash Warlock if you're into urban fantasy. Begin there. If urban fantasy is not your jam, then Dark Moon Chalice is out October 31st, 2023. I also have a gay geeky rom-com called To Catch a Geek that will be out from Crazy Maple Studios. I don't have the release date yet. I'm hoping it should be uh, 2023. It might slip into 2024 for a beach read. Don't know yet, but that's coming. And then Rogue Community College, the spinoff to the Adam series, is coming out in October 2024. So lots of stuff coming. And I'm sending out so many proposals and things, and we, I, I may have some news for you soon. And the best way to find out what's going on with me is go to davidrslayton.com. Don't forget the R, or you'll get some Florida man types in your searches. So go to davidrslayton.com, sign up for my newsletter. I promise not to spam you. I only send you cool stuff when I have good news and big news. And for example, when we have the cover reveal for Dark Moon Shallow Sea, I'll send out the map at the same time to my newsletter subscribers. So, and then I'm most active. The easiest way to find me social media wise is Twitter, as long as it holds and doesn't destabilize too much. But in case it does, um, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm trying to be more active on TikTok, though. I'm not that funny and know how to dance. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> that's awesome <clears throat> well thanks for for joining us today like like tracy said you're you were on my list of of people that i really wanted to talk to uh because I, I we haven't been to a con together in a long time uh, you know just haven't seen you socially because uh, i don't get out anymore because i am i'm a hermit for the most part uh, so it's been wonderful being able to answer. talk to you thank yeah you. thank <laughs> you both so much for having me today totally delightful What on earth? Hey. Hey. Oh, oh. Hi, Patrick. Tracy, what are you doing to the bumper? Uh, fortifying it. Duh. This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair. And... And I started thinking about that time beyond the trope, tried to take over. Yeah, I... I act cool about that, but I guess it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a... what? What is this? It's a palisade. Right. You realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose. Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat. Oh my God, you're not kidding. You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh? My therapist says I need to give my worst impulses space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon. I would totally act on that. But there's a problem. I... 
don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny stabity nomination pins. Patrick. Patrick. Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it? This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend our lair. Podcast. But layer, podcast, whatever. We need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like. Maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like Best Fan Cast. Please let me go. Oh, sorry. Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China. Oh, or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com. You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. <sighs> Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do. And they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff, also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Beyond the Trope, check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.